the Army Surplus Business. Papa Tony wasted no time in seeing a new form of enterprise. He was always finding new and creative ways to make money. When the government opened Camp Gruber east of Muskogee and Fort Chaffee and Fort Smith at Arkansas, Papa Tony began to sell them produce. He also sold directly to the penitentiary in McAllister. He had such a large business, he bought burlap bags, baskets, etc., used in truck farming on a wholesale basis, and resold some of those supplies to smaller farmers through his retail store. As Pavatoni began to become more familiar with the military, he would make deals with them on their surplus goods as well. He would travel to the camps with produce and return with surplus goods, such as tents, helmets, shovels, etc., anything the camp wanted to get rid of. The supply officers soon got to know Papatoni would sell him the merchandise without even a bid. Papatoni would sell most of the surplus to other dealers and to some manufacturers of other products in Muskogee. What he didn't sell that way, he brought back to the store. For a while, he sold both produce and army surplus equipment. As the produce business grew less profitable, he concentrated on strictly army, army surplus. About 1942, Mr. Hayes, the banker, came to see Papa and asked, Papa Tony if he wanted to buy the buildings back. Mr. Hayes was going to retire to Texas and offered Papa the buildings back for only the amount of money it took to pay the closing costs. In that same time, Papa Tony made a deal with a mortgage company in Georgia and he bought the house back too. Things were looking up. In 1942, Wadia went into the army after graduating from college and spending two years working. Edward was drafted into the army too and Maurice joined right after high school. After the war, both Edward and Wadia joined Papa in the Army surplus business. They traveled to all surrounding Army, Army bases, buying lumber, tents, clothing, helmets, bolt, belts, backpacks, trucks, tools, mattresses, etc. Whatever they could buy at bargain prices, they would. In 1949 to 1950, the boys, Wadia, Edward, and Maurice moved to Tulsa, and Papa Tony continued his surplus business. In 1954, Papa celebrated his 50th year in business. The Tulsa Tribune noted the date by publishing the enclosed story. In the early 50s, the Army Band, Army Camp, which is going to be on the next page, I think. Yep, the story's on the next page. In the early 50s, the Army Camps closed up. The boys had gone their way, and Papa Tony began to retire. He had a store full of Army surplus, which he let pile up. He never really retired, though. He'd still get up every morning at 5 a.m., go down to a restaurant, and have coffee with some of his old friends. He would then go to the store, turn on the radio, can't, and wait for customers and his buddies and friends to come in. He would make a fire in the old pot-bellied charcoal stove, put on a pot of coffee, and wait. Around noon, Papa would come, would cook up some kind of meal, which he'd share with whomever was there. He kept busy by doing little things. He would, on some days, go to the country and buy a bushel of this or that. He'd fix furniture. He'd buy pecans in the fall and spend the time shelling them as his friends, friends came in and out of the store. Papa Tony stayed in good health, in spite of the fact that he chain-smoked Camel cigarettes until 1963. One morning, a sheet of ice covered the walks and streets. Marguerite, and now there's a big picture. We'll get back to Marguerite in a second. But here is a photo of in the Tulsa Tribune. Coffee for the is a photo of a guy pouring coffee. Um, older gentleman wearing a black suit and tie although it's a black and white photo so it could be gray or navy but uh i imagine this is anton the caption under the photo says coffee for the boys 
seldom a morning passes that Anton Bashera, center, doesn't fire up the wood stove in his store and brew a pot of coffee for his friends who drop in to discuss current events and the good old days. Bashera, native of Lebanon, is Haskell's oldest merchant, and Sunday he will celebrate his 50th anniversary in business. And underneath it says, Papa Tony, still going strong in Haskell. Long drink lasts 50 years, the big headline. Let me read this story, actually. This is, again, from the Tulsa Tribune, May 14, 1954. Haskell, May 14. It was May 16, 1904, when Anton Bashera chipped a piece of ice into a glass of lemonade and thus became Haskell's first merchant. Sunday, Papa Tony, as he is known to everyone in Haskell, will celebrate his 50th anniversary in business here. And as the golden anniversary day approaches, he has no intention of retiring. Bashera, who is 73, was born in Wadi Shahur, Lebanon, and came to this country in 1898 at the age of 16. He came by himself and settled in Scranton, Pennsylvania. After six months there, he headed west for St. Louis, and after a short period there, he wandered. The wanderlust lust got him again. Bashera packed a selection of jewelry, underwear, socks, and other assorted merchandise into a suitcase and headed west again. He then proceeded to walk to Muskogee. I don't remember how long it took me to make the trip, Bashara said. His English edged heavily. His English, it's kind of uh, hard to read this tiny font. It's his English edged heavily with the accent of his native land. I was a peddler and just sold things as I went along. After reaching this area, he continued to peddle household goods throughout the Creek and Cherokee nations. He lived for a while in Bristow. Then he heard about a town called Haskell, which had been laid out between Muskogee and Tulsa. He went to Haskell. By this time, he had acquired a horse and set up a cold drink, cigar, and tobacco business. On May 14th, he went by wagon to Muskogee and bought his stock. On May 15th, he returned to Haskell, and on May 16th, he set up shop in, on, in a tent on the spot where the cashier's desk of the First National Bank now stands. The first customer was a man who wanted a glass of lemonade. Bashara has been in the business ever since. Shortly after opening, the tent store was blown up. Blown a block in a blown a block in a high wind. Bashera had a frame building erected. In 1907, he moved into his present location on Haskell's Main Street. His younger brother, Schick, came to this country two years after Bashera, and in about 1906 moved to Haskell with Bristow to join Anton and Bashera Brothers store. During his lifetime, Anton Bashera has sold just about everything from lemonade to underwear. Today, he sells mostly war, war surplus goods. Even after his 50 years in business, Bashera is amazed at the buying habits of the public. The hot items now are pup tents, musset bags, and plastic helmet liners. The Boy Scouts buy a lot of pup tents. Fishermen want the musset bags, and the helmet liners are the latest fad with the youngsters. Bashera's store, over which the faded letters Bashera Brothers still are visible, which has a bright new sign renaming the place Tony's store is the meeting place for all the old timers in Haskell. He still gets up at 5.30 a.m. in the morning and goes down to the store, said Marguerite Bashera, one of the two daughters with whom the elder Bashera lives. What he does down there, I don't know. It's no secret that Bashera does. It's no secret what Bashera does. He turns on a radio in the store and he hears early morning newscasts. Then he puts the coffee pot on the old pot-bellied wood-burning stove, and before long, his coffee bums, as he calls his friends, 
drift in to begin a day of chatting about the old days. Their conversation is lubricated by the hot coffee, which they drink from the thick war surplus mugs. Then it has a clipping from, the, I imagine, the, the back page um, end of the article, where it has another photo of him talking to people. And the sign is behind him, Tony's store, since 1904. The caption of the photo is, Papa Tony talks it over. Anton Bashara left. 73-year-old Dean of Haskell Merchants pauses in front of his store on Haskell's Main Street to pass the time of day with V.K. Williams, Wright, Haskell Insurance Agent, and G.M. Floyd, President of the First National Bank. As the sign in the picture shows, Bashara has been in business since 1904. Really cool. Let's see. Let's see if there's anything else to describe here. Nope, that's basically it. There's a little bit more to the story, but uh, the end says, Bashara has been blessed with a keen mind and good health. His only illness occurred a few months ago when he developed arthritis, but that has just about gone away. At 73, Papa Tony is hale and hearty and looking forward to the next 50 years in Haskell. Back to the story. Marguerite begged Papa Tony not to go to the store because of the ice. He always walked to the store anyhow. And this day would be no different. Papa slipped in front of the store and broke his arm. He never did regain strength. Six months later, became sick and had to be hospitalized. He was in St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa. After being there three days, the doctors discovered he had tuberculosis. He died of the same quick consumption that had taken many of his generation years earlier. On being Catholic, Papa Tony felt strongly about his religion. Needless to say, he was strict about it too. He saw to it that everyone attended Mass and paid attention. Father Philip Van Holsey was an immigrant priest from, Pel- from Belgium who was the parish priest when Papa's family was growing up. Haskell was a mission church, and Father Phil, as he was known to the people, would come from Muskogee via the train to Haskell. Later, he bought a car and added Cricola to his mission churches. According to Wadia and Marguerite, Father Phil had a tremendous influence on the lives of the Bacheras. He was from the old school of religious training and taught the very strictest form of Catholic principles. One week, Father Phil would come to Haskell and celebrate Mass on Sunday. After Mass, he would have catechism class, straight from the Baltimore Catechism. The next morning, Monday, he would say Mass at 7.30 a.m. and have a catechism class afterwards. The kids would have to hurry home and eat breakfast in order to be at school by 9 a.m. The next week, Father would come come on Saturday, celebrate Mass, and have catechism at 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon. The children didn't dare miss a religion class. According to Wadia, Father Phil must have, visit, must have visited hell because he sure seemed to know a lot about it. Until these modern times, growing up Catholic in rural Oklahoma wasn't necessarily easy. The people of Haskell were good to the Bashers, according to Wadia, but they were not without their prejudices. It was not an overt type of discrimination, but it was there. During the presidential campaign of Al Smith, much was made of his Catholicism, and there was a heightened concern on the part of many Protestants. Marguerite found herself defending her Catholicism strongly against the ignorance of many of her classmates. I also remember a little bit of that in growing up in University Park, the Park Cities in Dallas, being Catholic, and a lot of my friends not being Catholic, being Protestant, wasn't a big deal, but there was light tension there, and jokes would always have a bit of truth. People would call uh, call Catholics kneelers and talk about how we worshipped Mary instead of Jesus. Uh, it was never overt, like this, like this account says, but uh, but it was was there in the nineties. Uh, 
Wadia recalls that there were 10 or 11 Catholic families in Haskell. There were families in the they were there were families of Carlins who were in the oil business. The Scullies were a banking family. The others were the Chileas, Millers, McCallies, and Nessers. And then the two Bashara families. These families got together and raised enough money to build a church. And in 1913, they built St. Andrew's Catholic Church in Haskell. It stood until, until a fire destroyed it in 1986. Anecdotes growing up with Papa. Papa Tony wasn't always called Papa Tony. The Bacheras had a neighbor family by the name of Clement. They had three children, Bill, Jack, and Barbara, who grew up with all of Papa's children. Bill was the closest to the Bacheras because he took tap dancing lessons and in turn spent a lot of time at the Bacheras' house teaching what he learned to Florence. He didn't want to call Papa Mr. Bashera because that was too formal. He couldn't call him Tony because that would be disrespectful for a kid to do. One day he dubbed him Papa Tony. That fit Papa well and caught on quickly. From that time on, Tony was known as Papa Tony. One evening, coming back from market in Tulsa, Papa and Maurice stopped at the bootlegger in Leonard. Papa did this from time to time, and on his way home, he wouldn't. He would take a few nips as Maurice drove. Papa was less stoic and less serious when he had a few drinks, and he and Maurice would talk about a lot of things. On this particular evening, the subject of coming to America came up. Papa Tony didn't talk, didn't talk about this subject a lot, but in his lucid state. With grateful tears in his eyes, he said, Maurice, of all the things I've done in my lifetime, the one thing I thank God most for was that I came to this country to raise my family. How thankful he must have been. Papa Tony was not the kind of person who gave a person compliments, even when the person deserved one. He never wanted a person's ego to get too big or them to become conceited, so he rarely passed out compliments. This story demonstrates the attitude he had. Edward tells of the time Papa Tony made him go to market with him. Papa caught me downtown, Edward said, knowing that Papa was looking for him as much as Edward was trying to avoid his being found. Edward, you come here. Yes, Papa. Edward, you're going to help me get the vegetables, clean them, and take them to market. Yes, Papa, replied Edward, wanting to be with his friends and Papa knowing it. Edward, you're going to drive these vegetables to market with me. Yes, Papa. So we went to market, Edward remembers, and sold every damn one of those vegetables. We got out of there late. It was about 11 or so when we left to go home. We started home in, in that old truck with me driving, and after a while, Papa Tony had me, Papa had me pull over at, at this house. He got out, went in, and came back with a pint of bourbon. He got back in the truck, took a nip, and told me to keep driving. We drove along, and every few minutes, Papa would take another nip. After a few nips, Papa became a little light. He broke the silence. He poked me in the ribs. And when, poke, when Papa poked, he really poked hard. Edward, he said. Yes, Papa. Of all of them, Edward, you are the jackass. Of all of them, okay? But you, Edward, you the jackass. Yes, Papa. Papa took another nip. By this time, we were in Leonard, and Papa was feeling the effects. My ribs hurt like hell, and Papa to- pokes me again and says, Edward, of all of them, Edward, you the jackass. Just as I said, yes, Papa, we reached the top of the hill, and as I looked down, I saw a bunch of horses on the highway. I punched the brakes, and they were gone. So here, so here we go. I'm hunching over the wheel, trying to see because the headlights were so dim. I swerve and miss two horses, go between two of them, dodge one, swerve to miss another, and as I do, I go into the ditch and barely hit a car going the other way. I look over, and there's Papa, spread eagle against the truck seat, Mouth wide open, 
eyes out of his head, and his face white as a sheet. He didn't say a word. I backed up and continued to drive home. Papa didn't say a word. Both of us were shaken. We drove home. We drove on for some time, and finally, Papa poked me again. Edward? Yes, Papa. Next page. Edward? I graduate you. You ain't a jackass anymore. You is a horse's ass. In spite of Papa Tony's toughness, he was often overly generous. As with many immigrants to this country, he wanted to be liked and accepted. Sometimes this was not in his best business interest. Maurice remembers that people would come to the store and buy 25 or 30 cents worth of stuff on credit. Papa couldn't read or write English very well, so he'd write it down in Arabic. He knew his own mind that, he would, that they wouldn't pay, but he gave it to them anyhow. If they did come in to pay and he wasn't there, Maurice said, none of us could read Arabic, so it would go unpaid. According to Wadia, if Papa collected all the money people owed him for the merchandise bought on credit, he would have been a rich man. At one time, it was a policy to let farmers have credit during the summer and then have them pay off when their crops were sold in the fall. If there was a crop failure, they couldn't pay. If they moved away, Papa lost money. When the store burned in Bixby, very few of those that owed Papa money ever paid him. The working people did the same as the farmers and often moved without paying their debts. For a long time, while growing up, when Papa was asked a question, he would answer with a long, drawn-out, nasally, yes. At one time, the family had a live-in maid whose quarters were in the basement. Uncle Alex, Olga's brother, also lived with Papa's family. In the summer, when it was very hot at night, everyone slept on the floor to keep cool. Papa was sleeping in the living room when the wi- with the windows open. The wind changed to the north, so Papa decided to move, the por- the, move to the back porch. He took his blanket, put it down next to the person he thought was Uncle Alex. He said, as he began to lay down, sure is hot, isn't it? Squeaky nasal voice said, yes. Papa jumped up and went back to the living room. The maid had the same idea about keeping, coal, keeping cool on the porch as Papa did. Papa ate rock candy at one time because he thought it would improve his voice. He said he could sing to a lady better. No one ever knew who that lady was. Papa had pneumonia one time and wouldn't take his medicine. Marguerite would get up all during the night so she could give him his medicine. When she roused him and told him it was time to take, him, take the medicine, he covered his face with a blanket. Marguerite stood there quietly. And pretty soon, he peeked out of the covers and said, God damn, are you still here? After that, he told Dr. Kupka to never give him a gallon of medicine anymore. One day, a truck backed up to the back door with a load of semi-spoiled toke grapes. They had spoiled on a boxcar en route from California. Papa made a deal with the wholesale buyer, with the wholesale house to buy them. He didn't give them give him much for them. He got all the wash tubs out and had all the ones he could borrow. He got all the kids to have his family to stomp the grapes. Papa would ferment the grapes, thus making wine. He built a still in the basement and distilled the wine through aniseed to make araka, pronounced arat, a very strong, strong Arabic whiskey. Every night, he would fire up the still to make the whiskey. You can still see parts of the still in the basement of the house in Haskell. Papa must have had a deal with the local sheriff because no one ever said anything about the smell. In later years, every time Papa would go to Arkansas to buy produce, he would always buy a supply of whiskey because Oklahoma was a dry state. One day, he bought a load of apples and and bushel baskets. He put the liquor in the bottom of of the load and stacked the apples around it so it was hidden away. As he crossed the Arkansas-Oklahoma state line, a highway patrolman stopped him. What do you have in your truck, Pop? 
Now, Papa hated to be called Pop by anyone, but knew to keep his cool. The patrolman examined the load for 10 or 15 minutes, never did find the whiskey. One person that helped out a lot after Olga died was a black woman named Hattie. She worked for Papa and his family for years, and most of the family never did know her last name. In those days, maids would work for a small cash wage, but they got all their meals and the clothes and things that the family didn't want. Hattie was kind, faithful, and lovable. She would come in every morning and ask the kids what they wanted for breakfast and fix it for them. One day, while she was watching and ironing in the basement, they heard her singing loud and louder and better than ever before. The religious songs came out, one right after another, loud and clear. When she came up from the basement, they discovered she had been nipping Papa's wine. (laughs) All right. Next up, we've got a little more information about what it was like during the Depression and a little about the different family friends that they had in town, like Hattie and Hattie's father. Coming up next. (laughs) 